0: This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Hello. Thank you to the Carter organizers for inviting me to do this talk and share with you some of the exciting work we've been doing over the years on the interaction between infectious agents and our own human body system. So... The title of my talk, are there distinctly human infectious diseases? Uh, But since I'm a pathologist, I'm gonna show you a lot about some of the pathology that goes on uh, after the infectious diseases have infected us. Um, So so this is the list of different topics that we had discussed over the years as candidates for distinctly human diseases. There are a whole lot of definite candidates like myocardial infarction and carcinomas, cancers of epithelial origin. But as you can see, most of the items on this list are infectious diseases. And so today I was, um, and this next slide shows you in red, many all of the infectious diseases that were on that list. So as you can see from this next image, uh, data compiled from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Uh, uh, in 1900, most of the deaths occurred uh, due to infect diseases, as you can see gastrointestinal infections, tuberculosis, pneumonia, or influenza. Now, in 2010, most of the deaths in humans occurred because of cancer or heart disease. Our disease is the primary cause and infectious diseases has fallen to a very small percentage. Now, the reason for that, of course, is probably due to the use of vaccines. And um, most uh, the first vaccine that helped eradicate a disease was smallpox. And now we're working on polio. A lot of the different vaccines to these different diseases have been discovered and are being used effectively. Um, And as as, uh, the causes of death in chimpanzees, though, are a little different, as you can see here, Uh, a whole list that is hard for you to see, but in an uh, autopsy review of about 35 years of data, they showed that it's cardiac events that causes the highest mortality in chimpanzees, but these cardiac events have a different pathology. It's not coronary thrombosis that happens in humans, it's interstitial fibrosis in chimpanzees. So now diving into some of the diseases that may be distinctly human, I'll start off with talking about human influenza and then give you a little background on some of our work on typhoid, cholera, and then gonorrhea. So as an introduction, um, as I wanted to t- talk to you about the cell surfaces, as you all concentrated on DNA, making RNA, going on to make protein, but the cell is not really done until it makes the surface carbohydrates, which are called gly- glycans, glycoproteins, glycolipids. And at the very tip Of these glycans are these uh, diamond-shaped structures um, that are known as sialic acids. These sialic acids are the terminal, very end, monosaccharides attached to the underlying cell surface glycoconjugates and have been shown to show many important roles in um, the microbe binding that leads to infection. That'll be the um, topic of the talk today. Regulation of the immune response, progression and spread of human malignancies, and in certain aspects of human evolution. Now, these sialic acids can be uh, attached to the underlying glycans in different linkages. These linkages, as depicted here, may be alpha-2-3 linked linked to the underlying glycan, alpha-2-6 linked to the underlying glycan, or alpha-2-8 linked to the underlying glycan. Now, why am I showing this? It's because we've shown in several studies that most pathogens like to bind to the alpha-2-3 link. Salic acids, as shown here, but human influenza virus is unique in that it likes to bind to the alpha two six linked salic acids. In some studies we did a couple of decades ago with Pascal Gagneux, here are some sections of the human trachea, sections of the chimp and gorilla and mouse tracheal epithelium. And the blue is the binding of the SNA light lectin, which specifically binds to the alpha-2,6-linked cyclic acids. And you can see here, it's very on the outer edge of the epithelial cells. There's a lumen of the trachea. It's not present on the epithelial cell edges in the chimp or the gorilla or the mouse. There's some present in the mucin. But this is what the flu virus sees as it's, as it's passing through and likes to bind to on the very edge, the alpha-2, six-linked acids. Further studies done by Miriam Cohen in uh, Dr. Guadu's lab, where she used the three different influenza viruses depicted here. Um, the influenza viruses, uh, you've heard them called H1N1 or H3N2. So H refers to the hemagglutinin, and that is what allows the virus to adhere, agglutinate and then it uses the N or the neuraminidase as like scissors to clip through the mucus and then allows the virus to enter further and attach to the um, epithelial cells under here. This is the negative control showing no attachment. So her study showed that the um, human influenza viruses actually uses neuraminidase to, um, after the attachment to attach to the underlying structure. Um, the Tamiflu, the mechanism of action of Tamiflu, is to inactivate this neuraminidase. So even though the virus may attach, it cannot go further and infect the underlying epithelial cells. So um, that was the virus in um, affecting our human tracheal mucosa. Now I'll go on to talk about the sialic acids further. There are uh, two major kinds of sialic acids on mammalian cell surfaces. There's the NU5AC and the NU5GC, and the only difference between the two is one oxygen atom. The NU5GC is shown to be missing in humans because there is the same H gene which converts NU5AC to NU5GC. The same H gene was shown to be inactivated in humans about 2 to 3 million years ago. So humans make AC and not NU5GC. So we were able to make a mouse model which lacked the age gene in studies of human disease. So this is called the age null mouse. These animals have been studied for many years and have been observed to demonstrate a lot of human-like diseases like atherosclerosis, carcinomas as depicted here, age-related hearing loss, delayed wound healing. Uh, increased inflammation and in immune response, alters susceptibility to mus- muscular dyst- dystrophy, and interestingly, these same age null mice show the ability to run longer than controls. That's why humans can run marathons, whereas chimpanzees uh, don't really. They basically jump up and down. Um, so, we use the same age null mouse in a lot um, studying a lot of these human diseases. So the first one I was going to talk about was cholera. Vibrio cholera was first isolated um, by Filippo Pacini and his discovery was not widely known until Robert Koch, who worked on tuberculosis uh, and and described the mechanisms about 30, 30 years later. And Koch had these Postulate saying that the microorganism must be found in abundance in all organisms suffering from the disease. The microorganism must be isolated from the disease organism grown in pure culture. The cultured microorganism should cause disease when introduced into healthy organism. And the microorganism must be re-isolated from the inoculated diseased experimental host and identified as being identical to the original specific causative agent. So those were his postulates. But when he started studying cholera in 1884, he wrote in the British Medical Journal saying that although these experiments were constantly repeated with material from fresh cholera cases, our mice remained healthy, then made experiments on monkeys, cats, poultry, dogs, and various other mammals, but were never able to arrive at anything in animals similar to the cholera process. So Vibra cholera does not naturally cause diarrhea in adult mammals other than humans or in gene-altered models." Now, cholera is a non-invasive pathogen. Symptomatology occurs due to the production of an exotoxin encoded by a virulent factor. The toxin has an A subunit and 5B subunit. And we've shown that these, um, the B sub- subunit is what binds to the ganglioside receptor on the intestinal epithelial cells. And then through several steps intracellular cyclic adenosine monophosphate opens the cystic fibrosis transmembrane regulator and chloride ions are released into the lumen. And so this causes the epithelial cells of the small intestine to secrete fluids and electrolytes and cause the uh, watery diarrhea that can only be treated by extensive IV fluid replacement. So here's a diagram showing the cholera um, bacterium invading through the mucus and then using neuraminidases to expose the ganglioside receptor on the surface of epithelial cells to which it then binds. So the... So here is a complex mixer of gangliosides, all containing sialic acids, but uh, it's been shown that the Vibrio, Vibrio cholerae uses these neuraminidases to finally ge- uh, expose the GM1 ganglicide to which it then binds. So the GM1 ganglioside is a component of the cell plasma membrane which modulates c- c- cell signal transduction events. So we use the same age um, null mice to study the cholera process and here are intestinal loops that were infected with cholera from the wild type and from the same age null mice showing distended ileal loops filled with watery fluid in the same age null mice but not in the wild type. Then when we use sections from these same animals and saw that that there isn't much binding seen with the chlorotoxin by itself, but then when we use the neuraminidase, you can see lots of binding to the same H-null mice epithelial cells in different concentrations, um, but which is not present in the wild type mice. So this again demonstrates that it binds to the underlying gangliocyte receptor. So, the next candidate that I was going to talk about was typhoid fever. It, it's caused by salmonella uh, enterica serovar typhi, results in 200,000 annual deaths world, worldwide. There's the toxic um, subunit, and then the beta subunit, which is the binding part, which specifically recognizes glycans present in the human enriched silic acid NU5 AC. So, here is a diagram of the GI tract in the human adult which if you go down into that tube and take sections and look at it under the microscope, you can see these fimbriae finger-like villi, which uh, allow a lot of the absorption to occur in the small intestine. And under the epithelium um, are these lymphoid pious patches. The surface epithelium that lies above these lymphoid pious patches are called M-cells, and those are the cells with which the typhoid um, bacillus interacts with before it starts invading. So here again is a picture of the normal small intestine and a blown-up view of that and a diseased small intestine full of inflammatory cells and edema. So we've shown that the typhoid toxin binding is human-specific. As you can see here, it recognizes NU5-AC-enriched sialic acids and not NU5-GC sialic acids. And then frozen sections of small intestines from humans or chimpanzees Using fluorescently labeled typhoid toxin or its binding defective PLTB mutant as a negative control shows binding on the human sections and no binding to chimpanzee sections of small intestine. Um, last thing to remember about typhoid toxin that the asymptomatic carrier state of some diseases was described first in typhoid. So um, th- th- so Carl Joseph Ebert was, um, described the bacillus that caused typhoid in 1880 and four years later, a pathologist, as we pathologists continue to do, demonstrating uh, the, the actual process of the disease that actually happens, confirmed this link named ba- bacillus uh, typhi, which is not known today as salmonella enterica. So um, the in asymptomatic carrier state was first described by this person, Mary Malone, who was then known as Typhoid Mary because she was an Irish-born cook, believed to have infected 51 people with typhoid fever and the first person in the U.S. identified as the asymptomatic carrier of the disease because she persisted in working as a cook by which she exposed others to the disease. She was twice forcibly isolated by authorities and died after a total of nearly three decades in isolation. So what was not known then was that the bacillus actually resides in the gallbladder, hides out, and one treatment for the asymptomatic carrier would have been to remove the gallbladder, uh, but that was not known at that time. Now, of course, um, that is a treatment to avoid the asymptomatic carrier state of typhoid. The next thing is going to talk about was gonorrhea. Neisseria gonorrhea causes the sexually transmitted disease gonorrhea. WHO estimates about 106 million cases per year. About a one-third of these are multi-drug resistant. There's a high frequency of asymptomatic infections occurring in women. Untreated gonorrhea can lead to pelvic inflammatory disease and infertility. Gonorrhea has not been observed in other species. The disease model in chimpanzee was not successful. The molecular evidence is that the human factor H binds directly to one of the proteins on the surface of the gonococcus and leads to serum resistance only in humans. So here uh, are some pathology pictures um, of a uterus. This is the uterus, the fallopian tube, and the ovaries. This is the uterus and fallopian tubes that are removed from a patient that had pelvic inflammatory disease with fallopian tubes that actually were absolutely swollen and full of pus. Um, if, if the uterus were allowed to remain, this would heal and cause scarring and lead to um, uh, infertility. This is a picture of a uterus that was removed and opened up. Uh, this is the cervix on the outside. This is the endocervix and the endometrium. If you looked at sections of this under the microscope, this part, the outside of the cervix and the, and the vagina contained is made up of squamous epithelium, whereas the inner inside is columna epithelium as is shown here. Uh, the gonococcal uh, bacteria like to bind to the columna epithelium shown here. And as shown in this slide, the gonococcus, the components is made up of uh, pili and several different proteins and a lipopolysaccharide. Uh, this is a scanning electron micrograph of flowpin tube explants showing non-ciliated and ciliated cells, and showing that the gonococcus actually binds to the non ciliated and not the ciliated cells. And this is a picture full, pulled from the internet to remind you to tell you that the gonococcus acts like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Because what it does is, here's a diagram showing the diplococcus and gonorrhea with the cell surface proteins. It acquires sialic acids from the host using enzymes from the host. And this sialic acid then interacts with the cell surface receptors, which are siglec, which are sialic acid recognized in lectin-like receptors on the surfaces of the columnar epithelial cells of the endocervix. So that's how the binding occurs and then further infection. So these are photographs of um, images from human cervix showing expression of these receptors on the columnar epithelium of the cervix. And when we looked at um, chimp um, epithelium, you can be shown here that the human siglecs, which are shown in black, bind better to the siglecs than the chimp siglecs. So um, that brings me to the end of my talk with this list that I showed you earlier, which are candidates for distinctly human diseases. And today I spent time talking about four of these diseases. So, infectious diseases are caused by a variety of pathogens. The human body is made up of about 10 to 13 cells and hosts about 10 to 14 other microbes, which are bacterial, fungal, protozoal, and non-pathogenic viruses, all of which part, are part of the normal flora. Pathogenic organisms are distinct from normal flora and have developed highly specialized mechanisms to invade and elicit specific responses which contribute to survival. Bacteria are classified into spheres, rods, and spiral cells. And virul- virulence genes confer the ability to infect and may be carried carry bacteriophages or bacterial viruses as in cholerae organisms which cause cholera. So that brings me to the end of this talk. And... Thank you for your attention. Um, I hope I've communicated some of my excitement in discovering some of the pathology behind some of the events that occurred in infectious diseases. And perhaps I may have inspired some of the medical students out there listening to this to consider pathology as your career because you can not only do research and clinical and uh, be a physician's physician in your future. Thank you.